Like, she is a murderer, and you know she's a murderer. <laughs> Midsummer Maniacs. Midsummer Maniacs is a recap podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week we dig through an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything we else we love. Like the oblongs. I'm Mark. I'm Sarah. And if I was a tree, I would be a birch. You'd be a maple. You're Canadian. Yeah, How could you not be a true. maple? That's true. I'd be but a But you'd be a sugar maple. Oh. Because you're so sweet. Sugar maple. <laughs> what would I be? Uh, first of all, you're Sarah. Uh, I said that. You I did? Thought, yeah, I thought. Uh, I don't know. I'm Sarah. Uh, <laughs> you, you would be um, like a lilac because you smell so sweet. Oh, I thought you were going to say like a box shrub or something. No. Uh, <laughs> you'd be some little squat thing. If you let your kids join cults, they are probably able to watch the show and listen to the podcast. If your kids can handle Jones's naked butt again. This is bearded butt. A scruffy butt. Yeah, it's scruffy butt. It's on it's on camera a lot longer. And he sort of turns around. I I gotta admit, I I made sure that nothing showed. Did you watch it frame by frame real close? A couple of frame by frame there. <laughs> Just to make sure that uh, Joan's bits weren't showing. Every time he showers, we have to see it, apparently. That's all right. (laughs) What we're talking about is episode 85, The Oblong Murders, season 14, episode 4. Oblong. Oblong. It's such a fun word to say. It is indeed. First of all, off the top, uh, if you haven't seen our Acorn post, uh, we have a code that's available midsummer 30 for you to join acorn for a month for free if you want yeah if you want yep the other thing that we have to announce that i think is kind of exciting is i am um starting the design of some new merch that is john barnaby season merch yes because um, all of our merch is based really on the first couple of seasons yeah well because so. they're oldies but goodies yep. right uh, i've got some ideas but but last time, you guys came up with such amazing ideas that I even have a prize. Yep. I have done some uh, th- 3D modeling to create some Midsummer Maniacs cookie cutters. Yeah. It's like a cookie stamp. Yep. So if you were going to make like custard creams or like homemade Oreos or something, mm-hmm. you could have like a... a Midsummer cookies. Now, does it say Midsummer murders or does it say... Midsummer Maniacs. I have both. Okay. I'm not sure about giving away the Midsummer Murders ones. I don't want to infringe yeah. on anybody. But I'm doing a couple of other fun ones, too. I'm doing like a, a badger from the crest, from the yeah. Midsummer oh, Constabulary nice. crest. Nice. I've got the badger, so badger cookie cutter. Yeah, we're not selling any of this stuff. No, we're so not don't... selling the cookie cutters. No. But I thought if anybody had a good design for some John Barnaby Seasons merch, I will take those designs and... The best ones, I'll send you a cookie cutter. Yep. So if you want a cookie cutter. Exclusive, limited edition, 3D printed cookie cutter. Yep. So there's that. Excellent. So this episode was filmed in October, November 2010. We're only 
into the the last decade of the show. I know. Twenty <laughs> fifth of May, two thousand eleven, was when it was shown. Five point three million viewers, directed by Rennie Rye, and written by David Hoskins. This is not the first cult we've had in nope. midsummer. No, we had the new dawn. I think they were called. Yeah, the or one. the golden horse. Wasn't that? Something like that. Something like that from very early first season episode. I love that couple who wear the pyramids on their heads. They're my favorites. They ran the brothel. But, but this is the Oblong Foundation. Yes. They're a foundation. So I have a stunning fact about this episode. Okay. And as far as I know, this is the only episode where this is the case. Okay. Guess how many people in this episode have been in previous Midsummer episodes? Five. No. How many? Higher. Well, I know. I mean, I mean, I know there's a lot. Ten? Nine. Nine? I don't think there's another episode that has nine people in it. Including Jack Crutch, who played Otis Piggott in Country Matters. Fat. Yes. <laughs> He was so little. Yep. And now he's all grown up and and being a hooligan. Yes, he is. <laughs> we have Sophie Stanton. Do you know who that is? Oh, she's difficult to recognize because she was in Faithful Unto Death and she played Brenda Buckley and she wore these big nerdy glasses. That's right. But in this episode, she plays Josie Palmer, who's the barmaid. Yes. And she's way more put together. John Woodvine. Yeah. Who in this episode, he's from Electric Vendetta. He mm-hmm. played the farmer who talked about rutting animals. In this episode, he only gets the name Commodore. Commodore. Yeah, they're, they're not very creative with names in this episode. There's a guy whose name is just Krusty. Yeah, Krusty. And a comb-over guy. Comb-over guy. <laughs> uh, Will Knightley. Mm-hmm. What part does he play in this episode? Uh, Will Knightley plays Max Fuller. Yep. Who gets killed right off the bat. Yes, and he's from A Talent for Life. Okay. Very first, ep- uh, one of the very first episodes. Kevin Doyle is in uh, Ghosts of Christmas Pass. He plays the brother who kills himself. Mm-hmm. Greg Sheffield is in The House of the Woods. Yeah. Jack Crutch is in Country Matters, as we mentioned. Yeah, Greg Sheff- Sheffield, in this episode, he plays the other hooligan whose name is Lee. Yep. He's also somebody who was a little boy when he was in Midsummer before, and yep. now he's all grown up. Uh, Oliver Ryan was in King's Crystal. Mm-hmm. Jensen Freeman was in The Noble Art. Mm-hmm. Jensen Freeman plays... He plays the reporter. He's uncredited. And Lee Esquith Co. is in Murder, for, Murder of Innocence, and he plays the Oblong Cult Bodyguard. <laughs> The guy who goes, traitor, or something like yeah. that, with the too much gel in his hair? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Nine people appear in previous episodes. That's crazy. That's I looked through about 10 or 20 episodes, and nothing even comes close to that. Most times, it's like one or two, episodes, one or two people who are from previous episodes, but not nine. Well, and those are pretty spread out. Yeah. I mean, they're not like all from the same season, prior season. It's not like they tapped an agent who had a a group of actors no. in their books that they just brought back. No. This episode starts with Max Fuller being stabbed. Yes. And we'll get to that, but we're going to kind of 
go over some of the players first because you don't know anything about this. And they do. I, I love it when shows do this where you get to the point where Max is revealed as to what part he plays in this situation. And you're like, oh, yeah, that guy from the beginning. That's really good writing. That's who got killed at the very beginning. But it's so clear that it's a woman who kills him. Yeah, it is pretty clear. Like, she's got boot-cut jeans on. Yeah. Well, I guess I know the killer's a woman. Yeah. I knew that already. but But they have a hoodie. And gloves. Yeah. So who knows who they are? They could be anybody. A- anybody. <laughs> and there are a number of women in this episode. <laughs> yes, there are. So let's talk. You want to talk about the Oblong Foundation first, or you want to talk about um, Midsummer Malum first? So let's talk about Oblong Foundation first. Okay. So the whole reason why we're brought into this case is that George's friend's daughter, Lucy, is missing. It's missing. And she was last seen with this cult, the Oblong Foundation. Who is is less of a cult and more like a commune. Yeah. I, I mean, I think for the people who live there, yeah. And for the people who come in for the week, it's more like a retreat. Yeah. I mean, if they had, you know, facials, it would be a spa. Yeah. You know, it's like, hand in your cell phone, stay here for the week. Think Appre- about yourself. Appreciate yourself. Yep. Make some connections with other people and then go home. Right? Yep. But Jones has been on a training course where apparently he wasn't allowed to shave. No. So he has to go undercover. Jones has a beard. So their whole idea, and and again, we don't go into real, a lot of detail about what this Oblong Foundation actually believes, other than that Oblongs are imperfect perfection, and so are you. So it reminds me of... A movie and then a short story called The Oblong Box, which has nothing to do with it, but I'm always reminded of it when I watch this episode. The Oblong Box is a short story by Edgar Allan Poe about a couple who are on a ship and they move in really weird, mysterious ways and the captain doesn't understand what's going on. And later on you find out, okay, I'm going to spoil this Edgar Allan Poe story that's been around for hundreds of years, (laughs) so I'm going to spoil it here. Um, that his wife had died and she was in the box and that the woman he was with was the maid pretending to be his wife because he didn't want to freak everybody out on the boat. Was his wife little? I think so. Because <laughs> it was, I'm assuming she doesn't have a coffin. That's not the box. I think that's what they're referring but to. But it's oblong? Yeah. I've I, never seen an oval casket. I don't know. So I I looked into oblongs as symbols. Yeah. Because clearly the writers needed to come up with something that would be believable but not nefarious. Oh, but right? somebody worked on a screensaver, man. Yeah. And and a pretty good logo design too. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty polished. I looked at a couple of sites that talked about shapes and symbols. Yes. And so oblongs or by their more boring name, ovals. Yes. <laughs> are quote not quite a simple circle and lacking the harsh-lined pointedness of an edge. They're a sign of uniqueness and a zest for life. But oval actually comes from the word ovum, so it's eggs. Yeah. So they can also be a symbol for rebirth. Oh, I can see that. So I think that all fits. Yeah, I think so. Now, I don't know how that connects to trees. I don't know how it connects to trees or dominates hat. 
Dominic dresses like a Mennonite. He does sort of, but also everybody else dresses like him without the hat. So it kind of looks like a new Romantics band reunion from the 80s. Because they all wear button-up shirts with no ties. Yeah, to me, they look like men who need to go tie shopping. Yeah, I was like, is this Spandau Ballet? (laughs) And apparently the women's uniform is just drab, drab layers. Yes. Like, put on a turtleneck that's gray. Then put on a short sleeve gray shirt over that. Then find a really frumpy gray dress and wear that over that. Yeah. So you do a couple of things in this cult. You attend lectures that mm. Dominic gives, mm-hmm. which are New Age, babbly book. Yeah. Self-help you, kind of things. And those can be inside or outside. Mm-hmm. He, he is a multi-lectoral place dude. And what he says is not egregious or anything. No, like that. there's it's nothing self-harming all... in it. There's nothing like demeaning in it. Yeah. And 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 it is positive. Yeah. That's, that's another thing. Why I have trouble calling them a cult because they're very positive about other people. Yeah. And they're very helpful. Then you move stuff behind people when they're having conversations. Yeah. There's a lot of movement of signs and things like that. Yeah. Uh, and then there is the love rooms. <sighs> you have to give up your phone, but a lot of people do that at retreats and spas and stuff because it's just a way to disconnect so that you're more focused on what you're there to do. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that. No, I don't either. But I do have a problem with Dominic saying coitus because it's such a gross word. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like the nastiest word you can use, but not nasty in a good way. No. <laughs> and I don't want to hear him say it ever. No. But he he does seem like a normal dude. He, he seems like a normal new age dude. He's not even jealous of Ruth because Ruth and Jones kind of have this connection. No, he kind of And puts, he seems happy for her. Yeah. Which I, if he was a, a greedy cult leader, he would be like, no, I have to control her because she's the one who actually owns this place. Yeah. And he never gets angry or no. like domineering or. No, no. I, I mean, I. I don't want to go there, but I don't see any problem with what they do. Now, Freddie, who's like the business manager for the cult, she's a bit sus. A little bit. Right. But she doesn't have any power that Ruth hasn't given her. No. Ruth owns the house. Ruth owns the house. She's renting it to the foundation so they can be there. they're paying her rent. The the lawyer says it's all above board. Yeah. And, And Ruth doesn't seem to be controlled or domineered or manipulated in any way she seems perfectly happy there's there. no locks there's nobody checking on you where you're sleeping or anything like no that. you it can seems... even go sleep in a love room we'll get to love room just respect the do not disturb sign so george's friend we'll get to the signs because there's interesting signs in that list <laughs> uh george's friends are a couple mm-hmm. and their daughter lucy has went to join the oblong foundation but then is not there anymore right she leaves without telling anybody where she's going. And so, of course, they suspect that she's still there and they won't she's tell She's being them. held against like, her will. Yeah. And the Oblong people are like, no, she she's, left she's not on here. this date. Yeah. We don't know where she is. But because they won't let them come in and search everywhere and turn the place over. Yeah. They, they're still suspicious, which I completely understand. I would be worried too. But she was last seen in the pub. Yeah. So... And all of this starts because of the absolute worst reason, the fake body in the water. You got to think that Lee and Kevin, the yobs, yep. pulled that trick. I think they probably did. So 
there's a fake body in the water, which you could tell from 15 feet away is fake. Yeah. And they're like, oh, false alarm. Like, I could have done that without going in the water. (laughs) So originally I thought, when I first saw it, I thought, okay, Lee and Kevin, yeah, they're hooligans, but they do kind of seem to care about where Lucy is. They do. They're so, egg chucking yobs. So, <laughs> so maybe they did it to get the police's attention so they would take Lucy's disappearance seriously. But I think that's giving them way too much credit. And the mannequin doesn't look like Lucy. I think they just like to throw things at people. Yeah. And just an excuse to, they throw eggs at, at Dominic and they throw tomatoes at Jones. They need some kind of hobby. <laughs> Other than harassing people. Salt with a dangerous egg. Fact. (laughs) Because of this, Jones is asked to go undercover by George and Barnaby. John, John, yeah. Yeah. And Jones reluctantly allows himself to go undercover here. Now, he's supposed to be uh, taking over the identity that um, a, a private detective had established Yes. To go on one of the Oblong Foundation's induction courses, which is like a week yeah. retreat, right? And the um, persona that he's supposed to be taking on is of this guy named Cosmo Jones, who is a burnout media whiz kid from Crouch End. Yes. Now, Crouch End, if you don't know, is very posh. It's very posh. Very, very posh. Okay. And uh, Dominic, the cult leader, clearly knows... That's who he's supposed to be, right? He recognizes that that, that he is Cosmo Jones. Yep. So clearly they read through the profiles of people who have submitted to come to the induction week. Yeah. But he calls him a copywriter. Yeah, I don't understand why he calls him a copywriter. He's supposed to be a media whiz kid. Yeah. Which I, I would think is more of like a producer, director. Or like a software engineer. Software guy. Yeah, not something. a copywriter. Yeah, there's some weirdness there. Copywriters don't make any money. No. I know this for a fact. Those no poor people who work so hard. They do not. But the way you you change yourself into a burnout whiz kid from the fancy city is to put on glasses and a scarf. It's a nice scarf. It is. But that's all you need. That's... Scruff, glasses, scarf. You're from the city. Yep. Big city. Big that's city. It. That's all you need. And what has happened also... To make Barnaby suspicious is that Ruth's parents died suddenly. 18 months before the episode started. Yes. They were on their boat on the river and it exploded Mm -hmm. from a gas leak. Her mom was a smoker and they didn't turn the gas off and kaboom. Everyone just assumes it's an accident. And Krusty and his dog saw it happen. So Krusty is in the boat next door. Yes. And he is fantastic. He may be my favorite part of the episode. Because Krusty plays an 80-year-old man in a 30-year-old guy's body. Yeah. They really should have got a much older person to, to play that role. They they usually would have. But, you know, he's also, uh, he grows one pot plant. Yes. So clearly he's like a drug addict. Yeah. Because it has like three leaves on it. Well, he's... He, What's his dog's name? Wolf? Moose? Wolf, something. I can't remember. He's in his boat. Did you notice what he was reading? No. He's reading a catalog. I don't really under Like, he must be high. 
if he's reading a catalog. Oh, yeah. When he's inside the flashback from the night of the murders. Yeah. So he tells Barnaby that he heard on the night of the murders, somebody come into the boat. Yeah, and down then the leave dock the and boat. then leave. And he thought it was them. And then they, the Ruth's parents arrived. And then... Kabooey! Kabooey, right. Now, did you notice also that if he was actually as close as he appears... That the, he would be dead? In, in the back... Uh, in the flashback, he would be so dead. His boat would be on fire. He'd be daddy dead, dead. Yep. <laughs> he should have singed hair on one side of his face. <laughs> and what I love about Krusty is he showed up for one day of work, he did his work, and then he is out of yep. there. <laughs> He's like, uh, uh, my name is Tom Fisher. I'm here to play Krusty. Thank you. And okay. They're like, okay, to we'll, put on. we'll do your scenes and you're done. And you're done. No lunch for you. Sorry. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you're out. John suspects that the boat explosion is a bit convenient, considering that it results in Ruth inheriting Malum Hall and all of the money that the Oblong Foundation conveniently slides into. Yes. And then watch a news report on this. <laughs> Which well, is George from, brings it on a DVD. It's it on a DVD. He puts, he brings the gizmo cart with the DVD. Yes. And it's actual ITV news because this is ITV because it says so at the very beginning. Yeah. But I got to tell you, that's not how DVD players work. That when you press stop, it doesn't immediately go to bars and tone, which is what we're in Greenland now. Well, the- and it stops like suddenly, like it doesn't even finish the... The report. Yeah, those color bars, which are to... Like a test bar. Are te- it's a test pattern. Yeah. It's called bars and tone, right? And that tone is... Beep. Yeah, is a set tone so that you know your audio is coming through, right? But that doesn't happen when you press stop on a DVD player <laughs> because that would be the most annoying feature ever. Unless you're playing a DVD. Beep all the time. Beep. <laughs> Put something in, quick. Just play anything. I don't care. Just play something. <laughs> so that's the Oblong Foundation. Yes. Okay. No, not the only thing. What? See, if you like Krusty, my favorite character in this episode is Comb Over Guy. Comb Over Guy. Where's the free love? I was promised free love. <laughs> Where is it? I hope they didn't, you know, uh, mislead us in their sales pitch. That's all he's there for. That That is all he's there and for. And when Jones and Blaze Ledbetter, clearly yeah. a reporter, she's not very good at pretending not to be, but yeah. he's not good at not, not being a cop either. When they sneak off together to pretend to go to a love room. Into love room number four. So they can actually go and look at Freddie's uh, room. He, he follows them. He's like, room for one more? Like... Ew! Yeah. No, come over, guy. Back off. So the idea is you put a little sign on the door that says what is available. Right. Right? Did you see what was... Males only? Males only was one of them. Uh Uh-huh. And then do not disturb. Do not disturb was another one. That's the one that Jones and Blaze picked. Right. And then there was one that said singles something? It says singles welcome. Oh. So I guess if you're... A couple, or you, you're one person, maybe, yeah. But like, I've never been to a free love retreat. So. But how does that work? Like, one person goes in there, puts that sign up, and just waits. Well, hopefully, and you don't know who's in there. 
I'm hope. <laughs> you open the door and it's comb over guy. Hey, no, sorry, wrong door. Bye. <laughs> I'm hoping at least more than one person is in there, and they're they want they're okay for other single people to join. Them. Okay. But the sign that's most upsetting. I'm such a nerd. I'm like, what are the logistics of these love rooms? Yes. I need to understand this system. The, the final sign is come and join us. Oh, that's the opposite of do not disturb, huh? Yeah. That's anybody, everybody. Yep. Us. Come over guy. Yep. Come on in. And then there is the rumpy, pumpy thumping. In the oh, bed. that's, Yeah. Somebody somebody had to make that noise. It's too much. Yep. <laughs> but I love Comb Over Guy. He's fantastic. He has a, he has He has an arc. An epiphany. Yeah. And he cuts off his comb over. He does. And I think that I think that Comb Over Guy grows. He says, I'm I'm more Bruce Willis and less Arthur Scargell. Yes. Do you know who Arthur Scargill no, is? No, I have no idea who. Uh, he's a trade union unionist um, that represented mine workers back in the well from from the early '80s to the early 2000s. But he was infamous for a comb over that was so bad it it literally started just above his ear. Yeah, and went all the way over to the other side. It's so and it's frizzy. Wow! <laughs> it's like, dude, give it up now i i'm blessed with a full head of hair yes as as are most of the men in my family and i i have a feeling i will have hair till i'm done yeah but there are unfortunate people who who don't have hair but wow like arthur scargill if the wind caught his hair and blew it the opposite direction it would go past his shoulder yeah like just on that one side it would go past his shoulder yeah there must have been barbers who specialized in come over cuts. I bet you there's a weird video from the 50s about like it. Like how yes. to do it? Yeah. Yeah. So he he cuts off his comb over and now he's not comb over guy anymore. Nope. He's used to be comb over guy. Yes. And he's happy. Yep. Free. So in addition to the cult, you have Lucy's parents. Mm-hmm. Who the are, Olivers. Who are extremely concerned and then show up at the end to pick up Lucy. Yeah. Well, they tell him to back off. They yep. agree to back off while they yep. investigate. So they go away, yep. which is what they should. But my favorite bit of, um, of their efforts to find Lucy is that they paint a sheet with like blood red paint yes. that says, ask them where Lucy is or ask them about Lucy. Which they would be like, she left on this date. She's not here. They should just let him come in and search. Just come they in and should. look. They got nothing to hide. They have the Oblong Foundation is innocent of almost everything in this episode. Yes. The only even kind of bad thing is that Freddie agrees with Ruth to hide money that wasn't declared as part of the estate. Yeah. That's the only thing. Yeah. And that's Ruth's thing. Yeah. Because it's her estate. It's her responsibility. She doesn't want to claim it. Freddie goes along with it. You know who the problem is in this episode? Hmm. Lucy is the problem. Because Lucy and Freddie are in a relationship. And she doesn't let Freddie explain to her that, oh, no, I found this money in the safe. It was from Ruth's parents. Mm -hmm. She doesn't get a chance to explain that. She just runs off because Lucy is upset about Freddie having money, which 
I don't know about you, but if I find my lover in a bed with a bunch of money, I want to know all about it. I'm I'm going to want to know all about it. And I'm kind of like, okay, hey, baby, where'd you get that money? <laughs> <laughs> I sure could use the new computer. Uh, and then if she had went to her parents, none of this um, would have happened. Well, you can't say that. Well, Freddie wouldn't have died. Freddie would not have died. If Lucy had called her parents... Freddie would be alive. Yeah. Lucy is the evil person in this episode. She's got a bad haircut. Yes. And she doesn't even have a good reason for not calling her parents. She disappears without talking. She's with a friend in London. Who is a friend in London? (laughs) All I know is that if she had bothered to pick up the phone, Freddie would still be alive. In addition to all this machinations, there is the psych saga. We get psych cam. Yes. First ever dog cam. John's taking him for a walk, and we get psych eye view yep. of uh, other dogs, and yep. it's super fun. It is. <laughs> Sykes is awesome. Well, apparently he's not too awesome because he needs a minder. He can't be left home alone all day. Well, he's a bit rambunctious in a couple of areas, including what he does with other dogs. And digging in the mud. He's mounty. Yes. <laughs> he's a little humpy. <laughs> he needs to go into love room number three. <laughs> Come join me, dogs. And we find out that we haven't even mentioned this yet. This is George Bullard's last episode. Yes. and But we get to meet his sister, Millie. I think that they weren't aware this was George's last episode. Well, okay. So the actor who plays George um, told the producers when John Nettles left that he was done too. Okay. And they asked him to do a couple more episodes while they found somebody to replace him and made the alterations they needed, and he agreed to that. Okay. But then he, I think he died three years later. Yeah, he's dead now. He yeah. died three years later. Yeah. But I think this is a great episode for George, because we get to meet his sister. Yeah. And... Who is my sister. <laughs> Did you notice that? <laughs> Millie takes no shit off no bun. Like my sister. Including dogs. (laughs) Like my sister. And mostly her little brother. Like my sister. Yes, but if you go by the actor's ages, George is 10 years older than Millie. Oh, okay. So she's a little sister. My sister is 10 years older than me and reminds me. Every day. All the time. (laughs) But I love the command she has over dogs. Like they ring the doorbell chaos breaks out on the other side of the door and yep. she goes quiet and then they all just yeah she's <laughs> she is fantastic and also like she must charge a lot for minding dogs because she lives in a multi-million dollar cottage and watches only four dogs including sykes yeah so four dogs well she doesn't have to wear the watch the commodore's dog <laughs> yeah <laughs> So Millie is played by Barbara Flynn, mm-hmm. who's, she's been in a ton of things. Yes. But she's in a show that we've just got to spend more time with. You and I just have to watch more of this show. Um, it's from the late 80s, early 90s, and it's called Chandler and Company. Okay. And she plays a divorcee who, with her friend, who's also a divorcee, they start a private investigator investigation office. Why are we not watching this oh, show wait, right now? Wait, it gets better, Okay. One of the the other woman, her uh, ex boyfriend is now a guy who sells surveillance equipment, and he's like super techie. Okay. 
and it's Peter Capaldi. Oh my God, Peter Capaldi is in this show? He has flowing curly locks oh. and great big sweaters. Oh. And he's grumpy. Well, he, he, he's like he is in... Uh, the thick of it? <laughs> no, 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 no. He's grumpy in the thick of it, but he has long curly hair in Lair of the White Worm. Yeah, it's the same era. Yeah. And he's got these big cable knit jumpers all the time. And he's ever so slightly grumpy all the time oh. um, and has to ride in the back seat. Why are we not watching it looks that really show good. right now? <laughs> it looks really oh good. Oh, my God. But Millie is like super selective. Well, I don't need to talk to you. I need to talk to Sykes. Yes. And she won't even take Sykes for sure until she also meets Sarah. So I remembered this episode because we've seen this one a couple of times. Oh, yeah. I thought she was actually kind of reasonable this time viewing it, where I had imagined in my head that she was far more unreasonable. <laughs> That's how you remembered it? Yeah. I was like, no, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense that she wants to know like whose dog it is, that they're going to pick him up on time, and that he behaves well with the other dogs. Yeah. That all makes sense. Yeah. I thought she was completely unreasonable <laughs> and crazy. Like my... No. <laughs> she seems to accept dogs for being dogs. Yes. But the scenes where she's walking her dogs and the Commodore is walking his dog and they pass each other on the public footpath are priceless. Well, they're exposition with pricelessness. They just meet. They talk about the latest thing. And then they keep going. They don't even say goodbye. They don't greet each other. No. It's like an ongoing conversation interrupted by the rest of life. They just pick it up and they go on. Yep. It's fantastic. (laughs) They're great. They're really well written. Yep. So the rest of um, Midsummer Malum that we get to meet. So we've got the Yobs, we've got Millie, and then we've got the people at the pub. Yes. Right? So we've got Patty and Claire who own the pub. Yes. He's the barman. She's the chef. Okay. Wait a minute. He's never behind the bar. He doesn't fix the gas thing. And he always has a drink in his hand. Patty is a customer, not an owner. He... Is not good at running this no, pub. No, he is not good at running That's That's pub. clear. And that's why they need Josie, the barmaid, because she actually does that job, right? I have a feeling that Patty was running the pub into the ground. Mm-hmm. And then Claire came along. They got married. Yeah. And she saved it. Hence the whole plot of the episode. Yes. Right? But Patty and Claire, they don't go together. No, they don't. She's like fancy chef and he's a layabout. Yeah. He loves her. Yeah. What he says at the end is Oh, when she's getting ready to kill them all, he's like, I guess I'll just die with you. Yeah. But I don't think that's because he's so dedicated. I think it's because he just can't be bothered. I guess I'll just die. Go out in a blaze of glory. Whatever. No. That's what we're doing. No, I think think he loves her. But he's so so lazy that he he didn't do the one thing she asked him to do, and it foils her complete plan for self-annihilation. The man... Is lazy, yeah, <laughs> and it's it's not it's not dismissed that we're his name is Patty. Like <laughs> there is some, like I said, the naming of people in this episode is pretty bad. Yeah, like, it's amazing that Dominic's not called cult leader. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that his name isn't Oblong McOblongson. <laughs> like he's excuse me, cult leader. Can we? <laughs> yes. You know, uh, beneficial father, yeah. oblong, Sir Oblongness, 
High oblong, holy oblong. I um going back to Millie, I looked into exclusive dog minders. Yes. I couldn't find any individuals like her who are well known and snobby about what dogs they take. But of course there's this big uptick in dog hotels. Yes. And doggy daycares all over the place. Yes. And there's a lot of them in the UK, of course, because especially around London, because people live in the city and they want their dogs to have a little bit of a break. And looking at these luxury dog hotels, I realized that it, that I had a problem. And it wasn't a problem with the hotels. It's a problem with me. Okay. I am a broken human being. Why are you broken? Because one of the things they all advertise is that when you put your dog up there, they get their own little room. Yes. And a lot of them have rooms that have like kind of human amenities. Like they have like a little twin bed. Yes. That's made up with sheets and a blanket because a lot of dogs like to sleep on the bed. They sleep yes. on the bed at home. Yeah. It makes them feel like they're at home. They also feature webcams so that you can see that your dog is okay. Which right. I understand if you're worried yes. about your dog. But when you see a screen on a website that is broken up into 10 or 12 CCTV feeds, of small cell-like rooms with little twin-sized beds, you just wonder where the kidnap victims are. Yes. At least that's what I thought. <laughs> you are broken. I'm looking at this as like 10 live feeds of these little sweets. Dog nappers. I was waiting for the girl to come, you know, crawling across the floor. Help me. You know, because, you know, every crime show would have that. Like, yep. Oh, and they all have different themes. Each room has a different theme. That's not creepy. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it is. It is creepy. And then you see the little patch of fake grass over in the corner in case they need to go at night. And you're like, yeah. oh, you're a depraved kidnapper. Yeah. <laughs> Making your victims pee on fake grass. <laughs> I'm so broken. <laughs> and that's everybody in the episode. And as we said, uh, the lady who runs the pub is the killer. Claire, yeah, she has such a stupid motive. She does, and we'll get to get to motive. But there are a couple of other things that I I want to talk about: nudity, orgies, and ritualized flagellation. Yes, that's one thing. So the commodore is at the is at the pub. He's always he, at the pub. He, I don't think he has a home. I have a question: When do I get to walk the dog to the pub, sit in the pub all day, and talk about orgies, and then walk home? Because I'm ready for that life to start. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're there yet. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> Plus, what's your rank? Are you? Uh, I don't really have one. Are you a lieutenant? No, I think I'll just go Captain? by Commodore. <laughs> just call yourself Commodore? <laughs> because Commodore is one of those weird ones where you're not really sure what it is. It's but like you es- know, It's like you, Esquire. Yeah, you know it's not <laughs> Ensign, right? You know it's not some, some guy down in the machine shop working on the engine. Yeah. Commodore is up in the bridge, but you don't know what he does. <laughs> He's not captain. Yes, it's Commodore Bell. Oh, like the computer? Yes. Like the old Commodore computers? <laughs> well, when you get a shooting coat and a golden retriever, we'll talk about it. Oh, he's got a boxer. He is a boxer. Named Bo. Bo. As in beautiful, right? But he knows all about the ritualized flagellation. His eyebrows go up like, hey... When's that going to start? And we also have a lawyer in this episode who I don't really understand. Like, 
Susan Crane is her name. It should be Susan Exposition, because that's all she does. Well, she's been in another episode, too. Yeah. Well, everybody has been in other episodes. I know. But that's that's what all that's what solicitors are for in Midsummer. Yeah. Either they're helping to hide evidence because they're actually a character in the episode, or they are exposition at a desk. Yes. Right? So let's get to the important part of the of this episode, which is Jones's ass. <laughs> Well, let's talk about Blaze. Okay, so Blaze comes on pretty strong to Cosmo. Yes. Right away. Because they both have big scarves. She's like, oh, you're like me. You wear a big scarf too. Yes. I'm not trying to hide behind this giant scarf that's longer than my skirt and my coat combined. And this is clearly a relationship that ITV is fostering because... And I'll post this in the show notes. I didn't use this image. But there is a promo image of uh, Jones in the shower with a towel over his front. He's turned around and Blaze looking over her shoulder at the camera like, I saw Jones's junk. Okay, that has nothing to do with making us think that this is a relationship that ITV wants to foster and everything to do with... Hey, viewers, in this episode, you get to see Jones's junk. That's true. That's true. I'll give you that. (laughs) It has nothing to do with her. Yes. (laughs) In the last episode, he said butt plug. And this time, we get to see his butt. She she said it again. (laughs) And never the two shall meet. No. (laughs) (laughs) Poor man. (laughs) So she works for a tabloid in the big city, Mm -hmm. which is, geez, almost 40 minutes away. And you know instantly she's a reporter. Oh, gosh, yeah. Because she's asking as many questions as Jones are. Yeah. They're not very good at undercover. They're both kind of sucky at it. Well, and, you know, she's smart, though, because that's exactly what I would do. You go to something like that where you don't know anybody. You would find somebody who you think is most likely to be useful to you. Yeah. Who looks like somebody familiar, you know, yeah. um, that who is similar R- to you. Same age, roughly. Yeah. Like, she's not going to hang out with comb over man no no because he's and i think jones comes across as being skeptical too yeah he's making the right facial expressions yeah so she gloms onto him yeah and she made the right choice yes you give her that she did but she is exposed by freddie freddie but when jones and blaze are locked in freddie's room okay so what happens (laughs) love the phone call so what happens is blaze and cosmo are gonna investigate freddie's room right so they pretend to go to the love room yes come join us yes and they slip off into freddie's private bedroom yes where they think there's gonna be some paper so they start going through things and then the phone rings yes and then dominic says a moment butterfly And leaves his girly girl to go answer the only phone in the place? I I gotta say, if the phone rings and it's not in my room and I'm with a person who's special to me, I'm not getting up. But he's in charge because Freddie's gone. So he's in charge. I guess. He has to answer the phone. So he goes and answers the phone, which is Freddie calling. Why is Freddie calling Freddie's phone in the middle of the night? It's the only phone. And she wants to talk to Dominic. So she talks to Dominic. Dominic's like, there's no body, so there's no crime. So what she's saying is there's an undercover reporter there. Yeah. 
they're trying to get a reporter there to yeah. write a story about Lucy being dead. Yeah. And he says, don't worry about it. She's not here. There's no body. What don't Dominic says is completely innocent. Yes. Yes. He's like, we and don't know where And that's what Jones thinks is. too. Yeah. When he thinks about what he actually heard him say. Yeah. But then Dominic, Dominic heads out and locks the door behind him. And then Jones and Blaze are stuck in the room. And so he calls Barnaby. In the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Barnaby's like, how can I get them out of there without actually having to get dressed and leave the house in the middle of the night? I know. I'll call the number again and pretend to be Russian. Yes. And that is the operative word, because all he does is pretend to be Russian. He says, does vidanya, babushka, spasiba, huh? Yes? <laughs> Which trans- babushka? translated means? Grandmother, headscarf. It means both things. Um, thank you. Please. What? <laughs> Which is kind of what Dominic's face is like. What? Yes. And meanwhile, they Blaze and Jones slip out. Yes. Right? But I just, I just love that. That, that call. He's like, hello, uh, spasiba, babushka, das vidanya. Huh? Yeah. What? <laughs> Just enough distraction for them Again, to Again, in move. my mind, this went on far longer than in In, in your memory, past, you remember them memory. being stuck in there a long yeah. time. Yeah. Then, and I think that this needs to be talked about, because this is my problem with the writing of the episode, mm-hmm. is that Lucy shows up and no one freaks out. Well, before Lucy shows up, you've got to answer a question for me. Yes. Because you're a man. Okay. Because as a woman, okay. I cannot figure this out. I'm a dude. Okay. The night when Jones is in the dorm. Yes. Talking to comb over. Oh, yes. And Ruth comes in to put the moves on him. Yes. He is taking off his underwear yes, like a is. woman takes off her bra without removing her shirt. What he, is he doing? He's taking off his underwear so he doesn't need to take off his robe. And then he just throws his dirty drawers on the bed in the middle of a communal sleeping room and leaves. But why is he doing that? I don't know, but... I... Then he heads off with her in a robe that doesn't even go to his knees and a t-shirt, and that's it. Yeah. I was like... Like, is he taking them off so he can put on pajama bottoms without underwear on? I think so. But shouldn't he have done that? Okay, the thing he should not have done is throw his dirty underwear on the bed. Throw his dirty underwear on the bed. Oh my God. I knew that would bother you. There are so many things wrong with it. You're about to go sleep on there. Two, there are other people in the room sleeping there. And he does it right in front of another dude. Like, it would smell. It's better than, I mean, no, I guess it would be better if he threw them on the floor under his bed, maybe, but I just, I just love the, the maneuvers he's it, making to I, get them all. I watched it twice because I was like, did Jones just throw his dirty underwear? Oh! <laughs> he did, Jones. Jones. Wow. So Lucy shows up and no one freaks out. Everybody knows that everybody is looking for Lucy. I think they do kind of freak out, but it's difficult to tell what part of the freak out is, oh my gosh, Lucy's back. And oh my gosh, Lucy's covered in blood. <laughs> you can't really separate your reactions yeah, from those. It, I just think it, 
it didn't come out very well. She says that she's been in London, that she just needed a break. With a friend. And apparently couldn't be bothered to tell her parents that she wasn't dead. No. Why does she come back when she comes back? Oh, there's no reason at all except for she missed that Freddie loving. Okay. But then she found Freddie dead. Yeah. And then touched the wound with both hands. And Jones's underwear. <laughs> I like you you would take you would grab her shoulders, you would put your hand on her neck. Yeah. You might even roll her over. Yeah. But she has a stab wound in the middle of her back, and Lucy has blood on both of her hands. Yeah. So uh, the only way that could happen is if she, like, put her hands on her back, like, to stop the bleeding. But Freddie is, has not long been dead, so I guess maybe that's what she did? Maybe. I don't know. Anyway. Because when, when Lucy comes in and finds her, Claire is slipping out the other way. So yeah. she's still warm. Yeah. So maybe she... Maybe. Put her hands on the wound, or I don't know. Getting back to what we started with, <laughs> which is Jones's naked body. <laughs> I have some problems about the shower and bathroom facilities in this place. Uh huh. Okay, it's the, a locker room. The literally oblong, the oblong foundation didn't do anything bad, but they could put up a curtain. Okay, so here's another dude question then: men's locker rooms. Yep. Would they have curtains up? Uh, if it was a public space like this, normally, yes. It's like, not. Like, if you go to a Y, they yeah. would have curtains there. Right, but this isn't a public space. It's inside a private house. But, I don't know why they'd have a locker room in the first place, but... <clears throat> and why is she in there, and why is no one else in there, Well, then? she's in there because Blaze is rude. Yes. That's why she's in there. Because if those roles were reversed and she was in the shower... Oh, that... Jones would be right out. Yeah. And I think she's right out. Oh, I think she's right out. Like, I, I absolutely do not like that she does that. No, I don't like it either. It is it is not no bueno. And, and then she's revealed as a writer and then disappears. For a tabloid. Yep. So that explains why she's so yucky. Yeah, but then she just disappears. There's but that's no one of the things that... end story. There's no... no but it, it, um, it dates this episode because I think... Just in the few years since this was released, I think that would not be written in there. No. Because now I think there's more sensitivity to the fact that if those roles were reversed, how offensive that would be. So it's not okay to do that. Even the picture that was the promo picture that I talked about would never be made today. Yeah, I don't think so. And that's fine. I mean, I think that's that's good. That's a cool thing. I think so too. Um, Speaking of Malum Hall and their locker rooms, I found something really amazing about this place okay so the building that is malum hall in this episode is actually called cheney manor okay and it's been in two other midsummers before this it's a it's a commonly used building yeah but what i didn't know until this episode doing research is that it was also in a time team episode oh in season 12 the time team went to cheney manor and it's called tudor mansion that is back to front oh Okay, if you're not aware, Time Team is a... Oh, uh, if you don't know what Time Team is, pause, go Google, go watch, come back. Yes. Because you're missing awesomeness. Yes. But the Time Team archaeologists did a dig there, and there's a whole episode about it because this house has been, like, built on and expanded, and so it's kind of hard to date because all of the... Like, Henry VIII stayed there once. Oh, okay. But because it's been renovated over and over again, it has all these different signs from different eras, and it's hard to date. And a locker room. 
But here's what's amazing, and I've put a link to this in the show note in, in my notes, so you can include it in the show notes. There's this group called Wessex Archaeology, and they have a whole report about the dig that Time Team did, their part in it, and the implications of what was found. And then their job was to, because we've always wondered when we watch Time Team, like they've got three days to find out. On yeah. Sunday night, do they just fill in the holes and walk away? Yeah. No, no. This group picks it up. Oh, okay. Well, Wessex archaeology is what Phil Harding is a right uh, field archaeologist. Yes. Right? Yeah. So we're gonna link, we can link to the, a PDF that is the report of this dig. Um, but I found this awesome sentence in it because <laughs> you're always I'm always in a hurry to get my research done because you're always ready before me and I'm always under pressure that I put on myself. Like I just need to get done, and then I sit and I I freak out about you know dog hotel webcams and read 12 page pdfs about time team episodes yeah the end of this report yes the paper archive of the report of all the findings is contained in one lever arch file okay in due course time team will transfer ownership of the archive to the appropriate registered museum okay why do they have to say it all fits in one file folder I don't know. It's all contained in one file folder, which will be handed over in due course. It sounds legal. It's very interesting. It's very weird. But if you want to know more about Cheney Manor, which is Malum Hall, yeah. it's an awesome thing to read. Yeah, and that it's really interesting. Would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of real estate, Max Fuller's apartment. So Max Fuller, as with the episode that we watched, and now that we've talked about, we're now going back to the beginning, to that thing that we forgot at the beginning. He was killed because he is the witness to the IOU, the promissory note that Claire got from the Lamberts, which gave her $85,000 to keep the pub going, which she was paying back, but then Patty I got upset. I magically got $85,000 from your parents. I thought it was your savings. Well, then Patty gets drunk and pissed and bars the Lamberts who are already who are also drunk and pissed. And so then they say, well, then we want our money back. So then she has to kill a bunch of people. Why doesn't she just say, Patty, we can't bar them anymore um, because they loaned me some money? Because that wouldn't be Midsummer. Okay. Okay. If she was just honest okay. with her layabout husband to say, you know what? Because you don't help out. We're kind of underwater. So I had to get some help wherever I could. Yep. So suck it up and be nice to them. But she doesn't, so she's got to kill everybody. So she kills the Lamberts on their boat. Yes. And she kills Max in his apartment. Yes. And when we see the promissory note later, we see Max's address. Yes. Did you look up Max's address? No, I did not, but we see his address. He lives at 80B Russell Court, um, Woburn Place, London. And that's how she knows to go kill him there. Yes. Woburn Place is actually the name of the building that they show. Okay. Now... The interior shots are, the hallway is of that building, but the apartment and the elevator are not of that building. Why does she go up the stairs and not take the elevator? Um, because it's only, he only lives on the third floor. Yeah. And I guess if you get on the elevator, somebody else might be in it. Maybe. And she's got a great big knife that she can't be bothered to hide. I it bothered me that she climbed the stairs. By the way, that stairwell and that elevator have been in five oh, million gosh. things. Cage elevators are yeah. like such a trope. But that cage elevator is very, like, I think that's the one that Poirot goes up and down in with the mm -hmm. girls downstairs. And actually, the exterior of Woburn Place has been used in a Poirot. 
Yeah. Because it's a bit art deco on the outside. Yeah. However, Max's apartment that we see is so much nicer than the inside of that actual building. Yeah, you sent me a, a real estate listing for a room inside of this building. It is a hellhole. Yeah. For nearly half a million dollars. Yep. You get 700 square feet that doesn't even have a stove. It has a two-burner hot plate, literally a two-burner hot plate yep. for $350,000. And welcome to London real estate craziness. Max's podcast. apartment is extremely swanky. He's got yep. satin pajamas, satin sheets. How does he fall, not fall out of bed? Frosted glass. He should shoot right out of bed. Yep. <laughs> He's a very happy guy. He is. She calls and he's like, oh, that must be awful. You probably need a drink. Come, Come on up. And what does she do? Stabby stab. Stabs him. Stabby McStab face. Oh, but wow. Yeah. Just give it a Google. Woburn Place apartments for purchase. Like, I went there. They're dirty. Yeah. No way. No way. I was like, could you do the clean for the pictures? Here's another man question. When they're, uh, when Jones and Barnaby are in the car yeah, and Barnaby hands him the electric shaver. Yeah. Okay. Wouldn't yeah. he be covered oh, in stubble oh, hair? Covered in stubble hair. Okay. First of all, when you shave a beard, you don't start with an electric razor, right? Because his is like a quarter of an inch long at least. If you have a beard that you want to get rid of, you have to trim it with scissors first. Or at least a, um, clippers. Something right, you shorten it a lot, then you shave. Then you right? shave, yeah. Uh, a moving car is not the place for this, even with an electric razor, yes, because there's no way that electric razor isn't going to shoot hair all everywhere, over the car. everywhere, everywhere, bristly, yes, yeah. Oh, uh, no, <laughs> that's what I thought. And then Jones doesn't even shave it, so the. The hidden panel that hides the safe is very cool. Yeah, it is. Because you don't just like push on it. There's a lever on the other side of a window yep. that makes it lower, which is impressive. It's fancy, fancy. Okay. There's a technical problem with this episode. All right. The technical problem with this episode is that Legal Contracts for You supposedly provides this IOU. LegalContractsForYou.com. Yes. Now, they open up the computer of her parents. And there's a folder called Loans. Oh, wait. Before that. <laughs> it's Windows XP. It's Windows XP. And I would have to tell you from experience, at no time did Windows XP search ever work this fast. <laughs> Maybe if you keep your laptop in the attic, it works faster. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they use Windows XP and they find more of the promissory notes. And I love how she's like, is there more of those promissory notes? Yeah. Do I have to kill more people now? Is this the only copy? Because if there's more copies, I got to go hunt those people down too. Also, CCTV in, the, in London would have spotted her all over that building. But she had a hood on. Ah, uh, it doesn't matter. Stabby that stabby. hides everybody. I looked into whether propane rises or stays low to the ground when yeah. it's released to the propane gas. Yes. And it stays low to the ground. Okay. So Claire opens the valve and then kneels next to it. I don't know why she does that. Nope. But she's maybe three feet away from it. Yeah. Right? With the lighter. She would have passed out. Long before that. Within, I don't know. I don't know really how tight the space really is. Also, they know she's the murderer. 
So they don't go over with backup or anything. Oh, never. No, it's and they midsummer. Have, they have this whole conversation with Patty before they go find her. <laughs> like she is a murderer, and you know she's a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but she overhears them outside, right? So then she goes into the shed because that's where you go when you're trying to get away. Is you go to the shed? I guess. What was she gonna do? Was she gonna blow herself up? Boom, baby. <laughs> big boom. It's a big explosion on. Midsummer. The oh, boat. The boat. Yeah, that's there's, a big explosion. Yeah, there's flaming flotsam. Yep. But in the end, George says Tom was a hard act to follow. He was. And you're you're almost there. And George and his sister walk off into the distance. With their dogs. It's very nice. It's very nice. You don't know it's George's last episode, but once you do, you think, yeah, that's a good way to end his last episode. It works. There's only one thing about that I think we haven't talked about okay and that's about how so patty is a crap husband mm-hmm. and the Ruth's parents are kind of crappy too right yeah but jones who goes undercover and forms a relationship with ruth who obviously wants to get close to him mm-hmm. and obviously wants to share things with him is he is top notch in that he is professional. Yep. When she finds out that he's a policeman. Yep. But he is even when he's s- undercover, he doesn't take advantage. He does not take advantage of her and mm-hmm. talks about it with Barnaby. Mm-hmm. The, I thought that was really good that yeah. he said, I'm beginning to feel uncomfortable. Yep. And it's good that Barnaby tells Ruth that. Mm-hmm. And it's good that that Joan says, you know, it's unfortunate we met like this too. But she still slaps him. She still slaps him. But I understand why she does that. But later on, she doesn't slap him. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that they form a relationship. No. But he is honest with her. And I think that that shows so much character from Jones. I think they really, especially now that the new Barnaby set, is they really start to develop Jones's character here. He's a good person. Yeah, he's a very good person. When when we get the, um, the new coroner, we really get to see him yeah. expand as a character. Yeah. I do, and I love Troy, but I don't think Troy would have acted as gentlemanly <laughs> in this situation. I don't think Troy would have successfully gone undercover. I don't think so either. I don't think he would have even got to that point. He would have bonked that reporter in two seconds. No, I don't think he would have got there. I think he would have ruined it in yeah. the first like induction meeting. That's true. He would have been like, bullshit or something. And- Scott would have got a cough and then disappeared. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know that's what Scott but does. Th- th- this to me is really a Jones episode. Jones is all grown up, and he he does such a good job. All I know movie. is that training course he's been on must have been really good. Yeah, because it taught him everything he needed to know about being undercover as Cosmo Jones. I was gonna do Mom, Mom, I got a part for the two Yobs, mm-hmm. but then I'm like, they're in other episodes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, Krusty is the mom, mom, I got a part. I get yeah. to be a pothead on a boat. But he's been in another but, episode. But he's been in other stuff, too. Yeah. yeah. So, and Comover Guy has been in everything. He is busy. His name is Simon Day. Yeah. He's written several shows. Yeah. He's not written for Midsummer, but he's written several other, like, he shows. is a hustler. And he's, like, one of the leading comedic actors in the UK. So he's a busy dude. Yeah. I think he did this for fun because yeah. he liked the character. I think so too. So that is the Oblong Murders. Yes. A bad motive because 
Somebody can't talk to their husband and be honest, and somebody else can't be bothered to call home. And a cult that did no wrong. A cult that's not... They're not not even a cult. No. They're a little social club. They're a foundation. That is a little weird. They're they're weird, but they're not bad. And their weirdness is hat choice. (laughs) I think I could live with that. (laughs) Their weirdness is... Be the tree, be the tree. They certainly don't deserve egg and tomato throwing yobs. No, those two need to pay double for those tomatoes. Oh, we didn't talk about that. So Jones gets tomatoes thrown at him, which I, in my notes, I did the most dad thing ever. Take off your jacket before you get in the car. No, I was like, who's going to pay for those tomatoes? But he gets in the car, and then you pointed this out to me. There is a scene shot on a potato. <laughs> a potato camera? Like, it's just one shot. It's really bad. All it is is to imply that Jones was looking at Ruth as she looks at the letter. If you're curious, um, and you're watching on Amazon, or on Acorn, it's at 28 minutes, 39 seconds. Yeah. He's in the little Kia with Ruth coming back from the post office. By the way, we have that car. Um, at 2839, we get a shot of Jones from, he's in the car, he's driving, and there's uh, like um, fields and scenery going by and behind him. Yep. And the footage quality changes utterly yep. for like five seconds. It literally looks like cell phone footage. Yeah. And then it goes back to normal. Yep. I don't know why. It's just a bad shot. It's a little anomaly. It's just a bad shot. It's a little weirdness, but it's yeah. interesting to note. Yeah. And that is the Oblong Murders. Yes. Be the tree. Be the tree. What do we have next time? Well, first oh, of all, wait we got to do... We got to do best corpse. Best uh, corpse. I'm not impressed with anybody's corpse. Freddie keeps her eyes open for a while. Yeah. But, uh, I, you Freddie know. is the one that we see the most of. I just like Max. I want the more of a Max show because he's felt, so nice. I felt and, bad for Max. Yeah, Max is is a guy who just signed something and gets killed for it. Does the Oblong Foundation survive this? I think they do. I think they do too. I think because they're free and clear, they didn't do anything wrong. And you know, I think Ruth has learned from this, mm-hmm. and I think she wasn't out of control of things, but I think she takes more of Freddie's job. Yeah. I think she gave up control. Yeah. Because she didn't want to well, deal her with parents it. Parents had blown up 18 months ago. Yeah. She's a little dealing with a little trauma. But now she needs to step up yeah. and take take ownership of what's hers. I, I think that that's absolutely cruel. Blaze is going to write one heck of an article for her tabloid. Oh my gosh. Jones's buns are going to be on the front of that tabloid. <laughs> Undercover cop and his buns. Jim and Mary, I really hope they come to terms with Lucy's sexuality. Because that's the implication, mm-hmm. is that they don't understand Lucy's... That Lucy's gay. Yeah. And that she couldn't talk about it with them, and that's why she didn't go home when she got upset. She went to her friends instead. And I hope that they've learned that they should overlook this. Mm-hmm. Will Patty keep the pub? Well, Ruth is going to... That IOU is going to be forgotten about. Yeah. Okay. So Patty has the pub. Patty and Josie could make a go at it. I think that Ruth should tell Patty to take a hike and let Josie run the pub. Because Ruth owns the town, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So I think she owns the pub. Oh, I think she owns the pub, too. At least she owns the land the pub is on. Yeah. Uh, comb over guy lives happily ever after. Maybe he meets a, a lady. I think he meets a fun lady when he gets back because he has more confidence. I think... 
I think Krusty is is happy on his boat. I think I think Ruth can give Krusty a new boat and a few more plants. <laughs> and I think Dominic goes on running the Oblong Foundation. I think he does too. Yeah, probably writes a book. And Millie has some horse, has some dogs. Yeah, Millie and George. Yep, siblings happy ever after. Yep. The end. And the Commodore keeps walking his dog. Of course he does. Yep. Him and Bo out taking a walk. That is the Oblong Murders. So I have a question. Mm-hmm. How many years before I get to do the Commodore thing? At least 15, I'm sorry. 15? Yeah. Before yeah. I can do the Commodore thing? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and you need to find a pub within walking distance. Oh, and a new dog, because our dog won't be around 15 more years. Nor would she be willing to walk to the pub with you. She's not willing to walk across the room. <laughs> <laughs> Unless there's food involved. <laughs> well, Bo does get a sausage every day. He does. She uh, she shares it with Sykes. Yep. Love is in the air between Bo and Sykes, maybe. Woo! She's a big dog. Yep. <laughs> and Sykes has got his eyes on a girl at the doggy daycare anyway. Yes, he does. <laughs> What's our next episode? Our next episode, <clears throat> oh boy, is a doozy. It is... The Sleeper Under the Hill. Ley lines, maps, churches. The next few episodes are super good. Yep. We we get get kind of warmed up with the cult. Yep. That's not really a cult. And then we get more and more crazy for the next few. I think they did a really great job. Like the last season of Tom Barnaby, we talked about that there's some problems. Mm -hmm. But we get Oblong Murders, Sleeper Under the Hill... Night of the Stag, all right. And Night of the Stag is distasteful. There are some problems with that episode. But it's purposeful. But it's supposed if, to be. It's not distasteful because they don't know what they're doing. If you remember, an individual is killed by a machine that shakes trees. <laughs> that is fantastic. It's a way to die. Yep. <laughs> So until then, if you have any ideas for merch designs, something that you want on a t-shirt that is from season 14 on, please send them along. It doesn't have to be a sketch. It could just be an idea. And over the next few weeks, we'll take those and I'll come up with some stuff. And if you contribute a good idea, I may send you a unique 3D printed Midsummer cookie cutter. And I got I to gotta say that we have seen an increase lately in number of interactions and views and all that good stuff. And we we love every single one of you. You are all fantastic on Twitter, Instagram, email. We get emails and messages and stuff like that every day now from people who say the nicest things about what we do and take the time, take time out of their busy day. Mm-hmm. And, to listen to us and we really appreciate that we could be found on facebook groups for midsummer and acorn also and the subreddit which we run as well as twitter instagram and email all of that is at midsummer maniacs if you listen to us on youtube uh like subscribe and ring the bell on the podcast i'm going to tell you something I want to get to a thousand subscribers, not for any monetary reason. Mm -hmm. The reason why I want to get to a thousand subscribers is because if we get to a thousand subscribers, we're at like 460 now or some crazy number. We got a ways to go. Yeah, we got a ways to go. If 
we get to a thousand, we can have a community page on YouTube where oh, we can be post information and things like that. Yeah, that so would I be can fun. post the show notes right on there and things like that, and have more chance to interact with you guys. So even if you don't listen to us or watch us on YouTube, go to YouTube and follow <laughs> us. Subscribe okay. to the channel. Subscribe. It's so not we can a have money that community thing. space. It's, I want to get that community space. And the same thing goes for Instagram. If if we get to a certain level on Instagram, you'll be able to just swipe on my stories and go right to the episode. So I, all things that make it easier to have community, not a money thing, a community thing. And on that same note, if you're curious about why we've mentioned the Acorn 30-day subscription, um, it's not because we're making a bunch of money off of Acorn. No. Um, it's because in exchange for doing that, they gave us access to a bunch of behind-the-scenes photos from older episodes, and that's just such an awesome resource. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we're able to use them in our show notes and stuff like that. And they gave us a little money, not it, a whole bunch of money. Very little. <laughs> not a whole bunch very, of money. Very, very little. That's not why we agreed to no, do it. No, it's not why we agreed to if do it. it. If it means that a few people get to watch Midsummer who've never seen it before because they get the free thing even if they quit after the 30 days, that's and, fine. And we get... And we get some cool behind the scenes pictures of things. Yeah, that we get to share. Yeah. So it's just it's a resource. It's not a money making deal. Yep. So Thank now that we've said all, all that so much. <laughs> you guys are amazing. There there have been so many times where I've had bad or frustrating days where suddenly an email will come across and just make my day so much better because somebody said, You made me laugh. The fact that we make people laugh is just fantastic to me. Yeah, yeah. It's it makes it worth it every minute of it. Okay, next episode, eighty six, season fourteen, episode five, Sleeper Under the Hill, Ley Lines and Dead Bodies. It's a good one. Bye, Maniacs. Bye, Maniacs. Oblong is just fun to say. Oblong. Yep. Blah, 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 blah. But so is tomato thor- uh, egg throwing the obs. So. I want to hear Wilford Brimley say oblong. Oblong. Or Alfred Hitchcock. Oblong. Oblong. There's your outtake, by the way. Yep. <sighs> blah, 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 blah.